thank you so much for joining. I'm super, super excited to have you on my podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I have been completely fangirling on all of your, just your social media, your website, articles written on you. You are such a powerhouse. I am so, so happy to, to not only continue to get to know you, but just to have you here and share you with my audience. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. And, and that means so much because I do try to show up in a very authentic way where this is me, <laughs> whether I'm on a podcast or Instagram or um, even being interviewed in an article or panelist. I mean, it's me 100% of the time. See, that right there is already, that's already a hot tip. It's good that you kind of put that forward to say, this is me. I always show up authentically because gosh, there's just so much social media going on right now. And it feels like we can get lost easily. So I love that you are unapologetically yourself and you show up exactly as you are. And I think that that really shows in all your, all your content and everywhere I've seen you. So you are a very, very unique individual. You're a very special woman. Would you mind explaining exactly what your business is and how you serve your clients? Yes, absolutely. So I am the founder of GMC Corporation, and I work with all female-based business owners um, in service-based industries. I have a group coaching program that's tailored to helping women hit their first six figures that are newer to entrepreneurship. And then I also work one-on-one -on -one and have a mastermind program for entrepreneurs that are currently generating um, six and seven figures. So I come out of a, a corporate background overseeing a multi-billion dollar business. And with that, I was working honestly close to a hundred hours a week. I think some people exaggerate when they say a hundred, I'm definitely not exaggerating. And I was flying over, you know, all over the United States. And so I've decided that, you know, when I left that role, became a mom of twins and started building my own companies that I really wanted to find a way to make a lot of money and work, you know, two, three days a week, be a mom, be present, travel and do the things I like. And I think um, it seems very unobtainable for a lot of women. And I've been able to take hundreds of female entrepreneurs to that point in their business and it absolutely is with the right strategy. Wow. I think that your story is so interesting because, and you and I are actually really similar in this way that we have a different background in the sense of both of us have been, I think the way you had said it was we've had a seat in the boardroom with a lot of very powerful men. And I love that part of your mission and mine, actually, there's a lot of, we, we have a lot of similarities in this way. Like you said to me that you love to kind of empower women and give them the tools to negotiate like a man or to have a seat at the table and make all of the money that they deserve and really step into that power. And I think a lot of females, you know, for whatever reason, they just don't have the experience. They're not really exposed to that kind of energy. And I just love that you have such confidence in that way and you, you don't apologize and you don't make yourself small. So I guess with that, can you maybe give us a little bit of a couple bullets on how you got to exactly where you are? Like where exactly did your journey start with this business and where you think you're going? Yeah. So 
long story short is right out of college, I decided to go for a career path that I thought would make me the most money, um, graduating at 21 years old. So I went right into commercial and residential real estate for a large company based out of California, um, just dove into sales and became a regional manager, then jumped over to this medical startup where I did not hold back. I mean, I knew I wanted to grow the corporate ladder. I knew I wanted to make a lot of money. I knew I could be just as hungry as anyone else in the room. And that's ultimately how I got a seat as the only female executive. It's how I was overseeing over a hundred million dollars in budgets um, on an annual basis. I had a seat at the table and I never doubted myself. And I knew that I could learn anything I wanted to learn. I knew that if I wanted to be respected and I wanted my opinions to be valuable and um, taken into consideration, that a lot of that had to come with confidence. And so it obviously over the years, it grew and being in situations and, and being on the roller coasters of the highs and lows that come and building a multi-billion dollar business, a lot of things are going to go right, but even more is going to go wrong. And so really learning how to navigate that, I did see that, you know, it's, it's no shock that in the corporate environment that women are held to different standards than men, than men. there's a glass ceiling, there's all of these things that you're going to hear. When you get into female entrepreneurship, all of that goes out the window because then you're placing that on yourself. So if you're not putting the expectation that you can make a million or a billion dollars in your business, or you're feeling a certain way, you're really implying that on your own. And I realized that as I transitioned into owning my own business, and I was going to work with honestly, only men, when I launched this company, I'm like, I don't think I could take on, you know, all of the insecurities and doubts and imposter syndromes and limiting beliefs that come with female entrepreneurs. I'd rather work with these go-getters, these hustlers, these guys that are like ready to go. Nothing's going to stop them. And then I started realizing, okay, wait a minute here. I think in a way that most female entrepreneurs aren't. And there's not a lot of coaches out there that are telling it exactly how it needs to be in order for there to be success. And that's when I really made the pivot into working with mostly female business owners. And I think that I've added a lot of value because in a society where we tiptoe around everything and we make everything appear so easy and we say that if you know you just wish for it or manifest it, that it's going to happen. And a lot of these women believe that, that someone needed to come in and shake things up and say, no, here's how it's really done. You 100% can do it and you can outdo any dream that you think that you have because you're probably dreaming too small and I'll show you how to get there. And so that's kind of where this business has built and where I see it going is, you know, I just keep expanding as far as who I'm bringing in, the networks that I'm giving my clients exposure to. I'm getting ready to launch a mastermind, or I just launched a mastermind. We're meeting in uh, May for the first time. And I have 
entrepreneurs flying in that are all generating, you know, seven and eight figures in their business and that have, you know, sold companies to Budweiser. They've been on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. They've really accomplished some great things. And I want women to have exposure to them to hear how it really is. And so my goal for the company is to keep, you know, really helping these women grow these seven and eight figure businesses, but to also be really strong entrepreneurs while doing it. I love it. I feel like your business is disruptive because you bring that energy to the table. And I guess one question I have is how do you help the female entrepreneur that is struggling in her business, you see she's thinking small and maybe getting in her own way. What are some practical tips and tools and conversations that you're having with them to get them unstuck and let them allow them to see their own power? Yeah. So, I mean, two summers ago, I was asked to speak on a panelist about imposter syndrome and I reached back out and I said, I don't even know what that is. Like, what is imposter syndrome? I've never heard of it. And so the host of the conference was explaining it to me and I'm like, okay, so basically lack of confidence, self-doubt, limiting beliefs, got it. Okay. So now it has this formal name to it. And I sat there in front of these women and I said, you have to realize sitting here, you can, we live in a day and age where you could learn to do just about anything, anything. You could pick up a book, you could listen to a podcast, you could hire a coach, you could Google it, you could figure it out. And so you need to first identify what is the areas, the the area or areas in business that you feel most insecure. For a lot of women, it's financials. Um, I would say even just general business acumen, knowing the terms, knowing how to build solid foundations. And so there's, there's going to be two types of women that walk away and it's going to be the one that says, I am determined to invest in myself. And that's the key point. People are so quick to invest in their business, but they don't invest in themselves. And I'm going to learn. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to become stronger in the financial areas of my business. Do I need to know how to do everything? No, but should I be able to talk to my financial team? Should I be able to talk to a CPA and know my revenue versus profits versus, you know, loss, my balance sheet, all that? Yes. And then there's going to be other women that just decide that they're not going to do that and their business will never thrive because you've got to know these things and they're going to feel insecure and they're going to feel like they can't go to certain networking events because they can't carry a conversation in the room because they don't know enough about what they're talking about. And so I really challenge a lot of women, like, what is it that you don't know and how can you figure that out and figure it out quickly? Because people are moving at a very fast pace and there's somebody out there in your market that's a competitor of yours, that's investing in this, that's learning it, that's growing as an individual, and you will not be able to keep up if you're not doing this. I love that. I love that you do the, you have a discussion of like, where are your weak points and let's start honing in on those so that you can build that confidence. I know it's funny because as you mentioned that it makes me think of the way I operate. And it's, it's funny because I actually in my head have buckets of where I have what I call blind spots. And I say that to myself, this isn't something that is, you know, out there, it's my own internal dialogue. And so being self-aware. So what I do with that information is I like to become aware of 
something that I have a blind spot on and then I it's on my radar and I basically flag it as okay I need to come up with a way to invest and figure that out and understand that better whether it's through coaching courses collaboration wherever I can get the information but I love that idea of instead of kind of running from our weak spots you bring them forward and you kind of face them head on head on so that you can really be a part of the game because it's totally moving fast to your point and in it does change your self-confidence once you've tackled some of those blind spots and you've become very efficient, you know, in these respective areas. So I just love, love that you do that. And you have to be willing to be a beginner at, I'm willing to be a beginner at just about anything. Yeah. Because I'm willing to learn. I want to learn. And it's kind of like when I launched this business, somebody said, you have to be on Instagram. You need to be on social media. I had never done that in my career ever. And all I could think of was all of the coaches that I had invested in. I mean, close to a hundred grand worth of coaching in my executive role. I didn't find them on social media. So to me, I'm, I'm thinking there's no way, but I did it and I showed up and I did it consistently and I learned how to do it in a way that works for me. You're not finding me on reels. You're not finding me on TikTok or things like that. I do it in a way that works for me, but it's generated well over six figures in business for me off of people finding me through Instagram. So if I would have said, I don't know how to use Instagram, so I'm just not going to do it, then I would have missed out on a lot of revenue opportunity. And so yes. to do learn, but learn in a way that you, that feels comfortable for you. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you mentioned that example of social media, because I did want to ask you how, what role social media plays. And if that's not a big driver, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but where, what are really great sources for coaches out there? Let's just say for coaches, but really for any online business owner um, or service-based entrepreneur, like where do you find profitable prospects? So I always tell my clients, you need to, you need to know it. So if you're selling to women, you need to know her and you know, some people call it an avatar or whatever they want to call it. But you know, I, there's no way I could lump my client into one person and name her Kelly. There's just no way. I mean, I work with so many different services, service um, industries. I have a client that's 72 and I have a client that's 24 generating a multi-million dollar company. So it's very widespread, but I know where to find them and I know how to get exposure in front of them. And I also being a mom and being a really, you know, a busy entrepreneur and running multiple businesses, I want to know what is the best use of my time. So for me, I know I could get on Instagram and record a story in the morning that takes me a minute. And I typically get, you know, a couple hundred views. So then I got in front of a couple hundred people. I can then record a one hour podcast episode and that may get me in front of thousands of people over the next year or so. And then maybe I do, I have a speaking engagement coming up in front of 10,000 women. Are all 10,000 women a candidate for me? No, but it's going to get me the press. It's going to get me the exposure. And then, you know, maybe there's a few clients, but I really, as a mom and a business owner, I think to myself, okay, where am I going to get the most exposure in the least amount of time in front of my ideal dream clients. And then obviously I run a highly based referral, uh, referral based business. So a large percentage of my clients are coming from current clients that are saying, 
look, this is the result I've had. You absolutely have to work with her um, because it is a large investment. And so obviously having that third party validation of somebody bringing in that client for you, it's always going to be a much easier and shorter sale than, you know, prospecting. And I, I don't send DMs to, to people on Instagram. I'm not trying to get people to go download, you know, something for free or doing sales pitch in the DMs. It just isn't for me or my type of business model. And I don't think the return of the type of clients I'm wanting to work with would respond to that. I love that. I love that awareness about who kind of what level you want to play at and what works for that level. So can you tell me a little bit about kind of this concept of charging enough money and overcoming objections and things of that nature? Like, how do we get comfortable? Should we be raising our prices? How do we get comfortable doing that? How do we overcome objections? Like, give us some of these like tips so that we can bring our A game to the table. So I think you can still make a lot of money, but also one, charge what you're worth, but two, get in front of different demographics of an audience. So for me personally, I have everything from free resources you could download to $22 workshops that you can gain a ton of information from to a group coaching program that yes, it is a four figure investment, but it's on the lower end and you get, you know, the ROIs in that program are huge all the way up to working with me one-on-one. When it comes to pricing, and this is something that I am so incredibly passionate about because I think that there's women that work really, really hard to get clients, but they're not getting them because they're either priced too high or they're priced too low. Or there's women that are working really hard, have a lot of clients, but are barely making it by because they're not priced right within their industry. And price is the one thing that I find women are so intimidated by and so scared Mm -hmm. of. Um, And so when I sit down to build out pricing strategy with somebody and really figure out what their services should be, I always start with what are the results that you get your clients and what do you need to do in order to get them to that result? So for example, if you are a, um, a weight loss coach or health and fitness, it is very unrealistic to think that somebody's going to get maximum results working with you for six weeks that are going to be consistent in their life. Now, if they work with you for six months, are they going to get peak results in that their weight loss journey was consistent, they're feeling really great, their health has shifted, you've spent a lot of time with them, we know that they're sticking to a plan and that they're gonna be much more successful? Yes. So when there's women out there offering these really short courses or really short programs working with them and then clients are falling off and they're not getting results or they're not, there's no retention plan in place, they're always like, I'm constantly prospecting. I'm constantly trying to bring in new clients. Mm. If you had a program that was structured to where you're getting your clients such massive results that they're wanting to work with you over and over again, and you have retention plans in place, and there's a next level to work with you, and then a next level again to work with you, you will start to see you're not having to go out there and cultivate new business all the time because you're retaining the current clients, and those clients are referring you the new clients. Oh, I love that. You know, something that I've kind of on that front of retaining them and the next level I've seen one model that I've seen that I'd like your thoughts on is so say that you 
put out a digital course and say it's a couple weeks, say it's eight weeks. I've seen where at the back of that, since that's the big signature course, they flip you to a membership model. What are you thinking? I, I know that memberships are becoming like a really, really big thing. What do you think about, about memberships? So if you want my honest opinion, I think that people sign up for them because it's exciting. They just finished a course and they participate for 30 to 60 days. They forget their credit cards being charged. They start to fall off then they realize that their credit card's being charged and they end up canceling. And so I think, yes, you'll always have like the new enrollments every month, but then it's going to be balanced with the people that are falling off. Um, anything that you, you have to remember, people need to have skin in the game. Mm-hmm. So if I'm paying $29, $39 to be a part of your monthly membership, cause maybe I can drop into a Facebook group or whatever it may be, you know, At that point, maybe I'm doing it purely for the networking that I can go in and I can drop my name every time somebody says I'm looking for a business coach. So for me, it's more of like, okay, I'm not, this isn't a growth investment. This isn't, this is more of like a marketing advertisement spend where I know I can go in and drop my name. So if you're somebody that's wanting to have massive impact on your clients. It's really knowing how they're going to get that and also knowing the level in which you serve. A brand new entrepreneur is going to have a lot more time to be active in a Facebook group or to be in a membership program where a six and seven figure entrepreneur, and it's kind of like, you know, if you follow me on Instagram, when I launched my mastermind last week, I said, I took everything that a mastermind is according to everyone else in the industry. And I burned it to the ground because I work with six and seven figure entrepreneurs. I'm her. I can't get on a weekly mastermind call, nor do I want to. So instead I built a mastermind program as one-on-one coaching because that's where a lot of the value is. And then it's once a month, 90 minutes, us getting on the phone, there being an actual training topic. And then real networking of what do you need and what can you give to the women in this group? And I knew who my market was. I know they don't have the time. They have the money. They don't have the time. And so really knowing who is right for which of your programs and which of your offerings, and then also to just expect with the membership type model that people are going to join, they're going to fall off, they're going to be involved, they're going to not be involved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, I just love this. This is like, uh, this in itself feels like a mastermind discussion. Okay, so let me ask you this. I saw, I saw that you we're giving very clear tips on how to sell, how to overcome objections. How Say that there are women out there and they're getting leads and they're warming up their audience. What are your tips to close a sale? Yes. So I have a whole workshop on this called Rock Your Sales Call that's on my website. And it, uh-huh. honestly, you're going to spend $22 this month go and it's 25% off for women's month, go download it, honestly. And if this is after women's month, use code founder 25. And I will keep that discount up for your listeners, Kimberly, because it not only talks about what you need to do on the sales call, but there's a lot that goes in the front end, pre-qualifying your leads before they get on the phone with you. You need to have a pre-qualification process. You need to make sure that your marketing is attracting, but it's also deflecting. So if you're charging high ticket per se, 
you don't want to get on the phone with somebody that thinks this program is going to be $900 and then they find out it's 9,000 because you've just wasted a half hour of your time. And so once you get them on the phone, objections are a good sign. I know a lot of people start to hear objections. They panic. They start, you know, just throwing out all this information and they start just going in circles around the sales call. Objections mean that somebody's actually willing to make the investment because if they have questions, they have concerns, they're thinking about making this investment. If they didn't, if they knew right away this wasn't for them or they didn't believe in you, they weren't confident that you're an industry expert, they want off the phone too. They're not gonna sit there and ask you a bunch of questions just to waste their time and your time. And so one, objections are repetitive. You should probably be getting the same three to five objections always um, on every sales call. So you need to know how to navigate them and make people feel comfortable that you are so confident in the answers that you're providing that they see the value in the investment that outweighs any concerns that they might have. So just knowing your objections too and what people are gonna say. And then really just going into sales calls, this has nothing to do with selling. If you are a female entrepreneur and you are in a service-based industry, you are not really selling. It's so different than if you were having to go door to door knocking and actually do traditional sales. This is not that. This is you basically, someone's reaching out to you because they need you, they want you, they've already expressed that to you. And you having the opportunity to say, yes, I am the industry expert. Yes, I know exactly what I'm doing. Yes, my clients get results up to hundreds of thousands of dollars. This could be you too. Here's how we're gonna do it. And having them feel so confident in you that they're like, yes, let's go. I'm, I'm ready to go. I can't imagine missing out on this opportunity with you. I love that. I love that. So when you're getting these results for your clients, six figure results, is it that you go in and you're helping them kind of with their overall service strategy and helping them create the packages that don't exist? Are they not crafting their offers properly or like how are, what are some of those keys to getting those kinds of results that you use all the time? So when I do a 360 business assessment on any new client, it's 12 pages. They are giving me the ins, the outs, the numbers, the financials, the team. I need to know everything before getting started. And that helps me understand, do you have a marketing problem, visibility problem, which means nobody's finding you, people are not booking calls with you, um, you're not showing up, nobody knows who you are. Do you have a sales problem, which means you have really great branding, you're showing up, people are coming to you, they're getting on the phone with you, and then they're not purchasing because they have zero confidence. And a lot of times this comes from somebody investing a lot of money in branding, but not in the actual business and services and what they serve and what's going to get the clients the highest results. So people see this pretty facade or they see the right copywriting or we know anyone can throw anything in their Instagram bio and have it be true. Um, and so <laughs> then you have a sales problem or 
are you swamped? You're getting a ton of clients. You're, you know, you, you're trying to build out a team, but you have a CEO problem. The, the business foundations are rocky. Your business is exploding. You don't have systems and processes. You are insecure as a CEO. So you're not making the right investments. You're not making the right decisions. You don't have cash flow, which I talk about a lot. Um, and so you're month to month figuring out, you know, how do I make payroll or, you know, what can the business afford or what can it afford? Um, and, and packages, service offerings, pricing falls into all three of those categories. So it really just depends. And honestly, some people have two of those problems. Some people have all three, um, where there is a marketing problem. Somehow they're still getting clients, um, you know, to even get on the phone with them. They're still getting some sales, but it's not where the business could be. And so it's me identifying. And then every single client gets their own strategic plan based off of, you know, a lot of different factors, um, market, industry, um, economics, but also what are their personal goals? I have some clients that are moms of four kids and, um, you know, building very, very successful businesses that have really strong boundaries. And then I have some other women that are like, you know what, I'm willing to work 60 hours a week right now because I've got to get this to an eight figure business. So I'm, you know, they have more bandwidth. And so it's really meeting my clients with where they're at. Yes. Yes. I think that's super important. And I love that you, you take the time to make that strategic plan. I think that's super important and, you know, it serves as a, a blueprint for folks. So I'm so glad that you had brought up systems and processes because there's a lot of chatter out there about automation and how to scale a team and VAs and do all different kinds of processes out there. So can you name a couple systems and processes that you have in place in your business that you think everybody needs to have, or at least be aware of? So I think you have to go into business. And I think this is hard for a lot of solopreneurs because they think like, oh, I'll just have it be me. And, you know, I'm leaving my corporate job where I make 60,000. So I only need to make 60,000 as a freelancer or solopreneur, but it's not. I mean, if you're making 60 in corporate, you need to be clearing a hundred as an entrepreneur to net out the same number because business is expensive. And so you've got to go into entrepreneurship knowing you're going to need a team. If you're just going into this, that you're just going to be by yourself and you know, that's that you're going to be able to create a really successful business. You won't. So for me, all I do is coaching. That's all I do. Now, when I was in the startup phase for the first six to 12 months, was I everybody? Yes. I was everybody on this team. Um, I did my own marketing. I did my own social media. I took all the appointments. I rescheduled people, but now I don't. And I have a business manager who does the higher level initiatives. I have an assistant that takes care of all the administrative tasks and scheduling. And, but we've also built a lot of, you know, systems in place, whether it be, you know, something as little as like an acuity to do scheduling, um, to, you know, higher level CRMs, what it's going to do is it's going to be an initial front end investment, but then you're not paying a team member to sit there every single day and build out custom proposals or custom contracts or be going back and forth 10 times with a client to get an appointment booked when you can just send one link. And so the cost savings are one, the time savings is, you know, invaluable because I can then have team members work on 
larger scale initiatives like a mastermind retreat where that can't be automated. Somebody's got to be planning all of that and coordinating and reaching out to sponsors and speakers. And, and so really knowing what are you good at and getting all the other stuff off of your plate, you will find when you make those investments, you are able to really scale the business to those high dollar numbers because your hourly rate will increase substantially. I love that. I love it. And how many people, how, how do we know how many people we should be investing in as we go from solopreneur to entrepreneur? At what point do we start scaling and hiring? Like, how do we, are there any kind of cues that we can be, you know, watching or, I mean, I think a lot of people struggle with making this investment in their team and subsequent processes to really keep it going, you know, in a meaningful, scalable way. So, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that put like timelines and at, at certain, you know, checkpoints in the business, this just should be where you're at. But honestly, I had a client that started working with me last April. We launched her business. She hired me before she even launched and she'll do a hundred thousand this month and have a, you know, million plus year. I have other clients that have come to me, you know, same time frames, but different business model. Now she has five employees. I have other clients that came to me at the same time, different business model. So their first hire might've been a VA for 20 hours a month just to get some of it off of their plate. So it really is dependent on the model. Um, but I always say hire before you're ready. You're never going to feel like you have enough money. Um, you also, as an entrepreneur, have to be willing to give up some of that money to invest into a team, knowing that by getting that off of your plate, it then opens it up for you to take on more clients, more projects, whatever it is that you're doing. I would say my team probably, to, I, I mean, I couldn't even put it in hours, how much they take off my plate a month, but I would have to cut my coaching hours probably in half if I was having to do a lot of this. And that's what I get paid to do. I don't get paid for all the other stuff. No one's paying me to create a social media post. So I'm doing what I'm actually getting paid to do and paying other people to do the stuff that just isn't lucrative for me. Yes. I, I think that's super important so that you can stay in your revenue generating kind of genius zone of genius, as they say. Now I noticed that you typically don't work Fridays. So can you give us busy moms some tips about how to achieve this wonderful work-life balance, knowing that it's a perfectly imperfect. Yes. So I started this company with my twins only being a couple months old and I basically worked at nap times. I worked throughout the night because I had two kids that weren't sleeping. Um, and I did whatever I needed to do and make it to make it work in order to get enough cash flow coming in where it's like, okay, my schedule is actually starting to book up. Like we need a nanny now. We need more help. Uh, yeah. and so and, and part of it was not that we couldn't afford the nanny before that. It's just, I felt like, you know, I still want to be a mom. I still want to be present, but then it got to a tipping point. And then I started to get really, really busy where I felt like I'm dropping the, the, the mom ball here. <laughs> like I'm working when I should be with my kids or I'm on my phone in the evenings when I don't want to be. And that's, when I'm like, okay, time to invest in the team. 
And then my business got to a point where I could say, you know what? I, I would rather take less clients at a higher price point and work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays while my kids are in preschool and pay a team to be handling all this other stuff so I don't have to be. And then Mondays are my CEO day where I work on my business rather than in the business. And for me, I am able to shut it off. And I am able to know that somebody's answering those emails when I'm not and that it is taken care of. And then I've also created a culture with my clients. I mean, yesterday I had, a, um, my daughter had to stay home due to an ear infection from preschool. It was totally last minute. And I had a three hour strategy intensive with a client. And so just explaining, like I'm a mom and I can't control this. She's going to be laying on the couch where there were a few moments where she got up and had to sit on my lap. And, you know, it was a little bit of a tough day, but I know when I bring on clients, I'm bringing on women that understand and she was a mom and she appreciated it and it was there was a total understanding that I wouldn't have gotten if I worked in corporate yeah I love that wow well I so appreciate you joining us I cannot even tell you how incredible this has been I mean in just such a short time I know that I've personally taken a lot of notes I'm going to go back and listen and take more notes from you so thank you you are you really are brilliant I have to tell you you're brilliant you're a powerhouse and I just I adore you so really thank you for coming and thank you for sharing all of your wisdom where can folks find you if they want to work with you Yes. So follow me on Instagram at the Jessica Marks. I'm always posting in the stories, tons of free business advice. I try to always make my um, posts educational as well. And then if you head over to the website, um, www.thejessicamarks.com, there's free resources on there. There's a great download right now on how to build out your six-figure signature offering. Um, and then all of those workshops as well. So even if you're not ready to invest in working with a coach one-on-one, -on -one, please take advantage of all the resources out there that can really help grow your business. Oh, great. Thank you. I will be visiting that right away. So thank you for, for coming and thank you so much for your time. All right, that is it for today. Now, as you know, some of our best conversations actually happen after the show. So I want you to find me on Instagram at Kimberly Lovey and let me know your thoughts about today's show. You can screenshot this episode and let us know what your biggest takeaway was and tag me at Kimberly Lovey and we can share it on our stories. I will see you again, same time, same place next week.